Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to another episode of NBA PTF. Had a long episode last night, but great discussions. A lot of changes uh, last week amongst coaching again. We're up to seven vacancies now. Second interview is expected for a lot of guys and Becky Hammond this week. So we're getting close to some of those vacancies getting filled up. Talked about who we thought were some of the best fits for these candidates and these teams and what we thought was the best opportunity if we were looking as a head coach for a team. Uh, we also talked about Ben Simmons and his future, not just with the Sixers, but the league. I'd love to hear your guys' feedback at NBA PTF on Instagram and Facebook. And you can always uh, leave us suggestions on what we should talk about next. So thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Hey guys, thanks for hopping on here tonight. I'm uh, going to go over a few things. Uh, we, you know, didn't get a talk towards the end of last week, so we had uh, some good basketball games. Um, Bucks and Nets and the Sixers and Hawks were the two most watched games of the postseason so far. Um, and they were they were amazing games. Um, but they left a lot of uh, questions that need answered and uh, a lot of discussion for us to do. Uh, so let's go ahead and get started. I want to go ahead and talk about the uh, Nets being eliminated. Um, obviously, they did not have the health that they would have liked, um, and that definitely hurt their chances on getting to the finals. Um, but that gives a chance for the Bucks to uh, show what they can do going forward. Um, Aaron, I want to start with you. What did you think about that game seven between Brooklyn and Milwaukee? Oh, I can talk about this game for a year, I feel like. I think this was the best playoff game I've watched since the Heat and Spurs, maybe the Warriors-Cavs series. But this series in general just did not go as any of us talked about it going. But a lot of that due to Kyrie going down and Harden not being 100%. And the Bucks just played a lot better those last few games. I I never thought for a second that the Bucks were gonna win that. Even they were up four they were up by four with a minute to go, and I thought, okay, how are they gonna lose this game? And they really just both teams played so well. I thought they both just played so well all game. It was just it was the most fun I've had watching basketball, I think. I would agree. Um, we got to see Kevin Durant put on another amazing performance in the playoffs, um, setting a game seven record for points in a game. Um, obviously the fatigue of playing every single minute of that game and most, if not all the minutes of game six really was shown there. I was surprised, um, Garrett to see two of the, best players in the league as tired as they were. I can't think of a time where I've seen players so visibly exhausted. Um, even going to Giannis getting pulled in the second, second quarter, late second quarter, you know, bending over hand over knees, not even walking to the other end of the court before asking for a timeout. Um, what do you attribute that exhaustion to uh, compared to what we've seen in the past? I think it just showed how much each team relied on their superstar. I mean, <clears throat> I believe Durant didn't even come out of the game. I think he played all 53 minutes and 
played every minute in game six. Um, and also, you know, that the Kyrie injury, I think it was interesting that they had Harden bringing up the ball, um, basically walking it up. Uh, like Nick, Nick brought up, he said his average speed was three miles an hour or something. So, you know, definitely not pushing the ball. And I thought that really leveled the series as far as um, the Nets not really having any any fast breaks or, you know, easy buckets. It was all in the half court. Not that, you know, Durant's not capable or anything, but we see in a tight game, you know, down the stretch, he, he was basically playing one-on-one, just exhausted. So I, I loved watching it. I thought, I think, you know, the stars are relied upon heavily in the, in the playoffs and, I think, you know, we got a good show. Yeah, and Aaron uh, pointed out in the chat that Durant played 48 minutes in Game 5, 40 in Game 6, and 53 in Game 7, playing all but eight minutes of the last three games combined. So just insane uh, numbers there, especially from a guy coming off an injury that he did and just coming out there and showing that he still – one of, if not the best player in the league. Um, Nick, I'm not sure if you're driving or whatever, but um, I'll start with you. What do you think of the Bucks' chances going forward? Yeah, I I just wanted to add, um, I was watching this game when I was with Dave, and um, I mean, as soon as Brooke Lopez made that crucial J.R. Smith play uh, towards the end of the game where – he passes to Chris Middleton with, you know, no time on the clock, the shot clock. Um, I thought for sure that Brooklyn would, you know, jump on that opportunity. Um, but, I mean, they ended up, they pulled it out. Um, I did want to add that I thought it was ridiculous, um, the foul call at the very end of the game. I mean, the teams were done. Um, you know that the Nets lost. Um and yet they still had to come back out so Brooke Lopez could shoot free throws. I'm sure a lot of bookies uh, were either extremely upset or extremely happy about that, um, that he got to come back out and shoot those free throws. But um, it just sucks from Brooklyn's standpoint. It's like a shot in the foot. Um, you already know you lost and you got to go back out there. But I think looking forward, I mean, this looks pretty good for the Bucks. I mean, they don't – it's not a terrible – if you're going to pick a team to play, I think Atlanta would be the team you want to play. So um, this could be their year. We've been waiting for, you know, a couple years for them to at least make the finals. And Yeah, you brought up a lot of good points. Um, the Brooke Lopez thing just baffled me so much, how you can call a timeout, and especially a guy like, like him, a veteran who's been here forever, and to go through an entire timeout, and that's, and you just don't know there's two seconds left. That I mean, how do you not go over that? Even how does not one person mention? Oh, by the way, hey, there's two seconds left, so that's what we got to do. That that was crazy. And then the foul at the end, yeah, that was stupid. I don't know if, especially since it was a review. Like you're going to review that. Like if it has to be reviewed, then why are you, in that situation? Why are you even reviewing it? They should have just called the game there. Um, maybe that's when they can, you know, look at the change in the future, which I'll get to that here later on. There are some new rule changes going into effect for next year. 
And like you said, um, I think if uh, you're the Bucks, you're thrilled that you are facing um, the Hawks. I think that's going to be a good matchup. Drew Holiday, obviously a defensive-minded player uh, going against Trey Young. Which Trey Young didn't necessarily struggle against the Sixers, but he did have some poor shooting nights against Ben Simmons, so good defense is really going to slow him down for sure. Um, it'll be interesting to see uh, Chris Middleton. Uh, he's really going to have to be the guy to, I think, step up for the Bucks. Um, it really, it was really all you know that game where it was the eighty. 80- Two eighty-six or whatever it was. Those are the two guys, Giannis and Chris Middleton, that were there. So obviously they're going to have to play. The Hawks have so many scorers, so many shooters on that team, but the Bucks are such a good defensive team. I think that it's really going to help them. Um, I think Clint Capella is going to have a huge series um, just because of the somewhat immobility of Brooke Lopez. I know, Garrett, you're a big fan of Clint Capella. What are you expecting uh, for him coming out of that series? I'll be honest. I was surprised how – I mean, I know Embiid is is a great player, but he really dominated Capella, and that surprised me a little bit. I think this matchup, um, I expect Capella to do much better. You know, Lopez can is at stretch five. He can hit the three, and Capella is definitely mobile enough to get out on the perimeter and guard the pick and roll and stuff. So I I like this matchup better. Um, he's not quite the bruising force like Embiid down low. So I expect that to be maybe in the Hawks' favor. Um, yeah, and I, I just like him around the rim. Yeah, and I think this is a good segue to go into uh, the Sixers um, and Hawks series that ended the other night. Um, obviously, Ben Simmons uh, has been in the news the last couple of days, and for good reasoning. Um, I don't think the future is looking as bright for him as everybody once thought, uh, especially with Doc coming out and saying that uh, he agreed with the, the question that Ben Simmons is not a starting point guard on a championship team, although he kind of backtracked a little bit the following day saying that he still believes in him and they're going to work on his shooting. But Aaron, do you think Ben Simmons is, do you think there's a way for him to get, become a better shooter? Uh, Do you think his shot is so messed up or do you think that mentally that he just can't get to where he needs to be? Do you see him improving, uh, at all in his career, or do you see it happening drastically uh, next season, or do you think it's something that he's going to continue to struggle with as time goes on? Um, I've I've always been kind of like one of those guys that's just never been even considering buying a ticket for the Ben Simmons train. Um, I think in the league right now, if you're not shooting the ball, you're not you're not playing basketball the right way. I'm not sure he can ever be a better shooter than he is now. I just think, especially in Philadelphia, where they just kind of, they mentally just destroy you. We saw it with Markel Fultz. um, And now, I mean, we've seen it with Ben Simmons the last, what, three years, three, four years since he's been there. Um, There's just, I don't have a lot of hope for him on that front. But you can't deny that he 
is worth playing. I'm thinking he's worth starting. He's an all-star without the shooting. I mean, he's never had it, and we've always saw him as an all-star. But for some reason, this series, the way he played this series and not shooting the ball, people just really are over it. They're sick of it, especially in Philadelphia. Um, and I, I want to hear everyone's opinion on how how low his uh, value is right now, what the Sixers could even get if they wanted to trade him at this point. Is there even anyone out there who want to take the chance? Or not even – I mean, I wouldn't even say that. Do the Sixers – give up him because their value would get, they would get such a small value back at this point compared to what he really probably actually is worth. Yeah, it's a good question. Is the value so low right now on Ben Simmons? Is it worth uh, trading him versus keeping him on the team? Because obviously they can win games with Ben Simmons. That's not an issue. The issue is when you get into these uh, series where every single game is important, and, you know, they're playing hack-a-shack with Ben Simmons, and that's obviously costing them games. And you got a point guard who shoots the ball three times in the fourth quarter and in the entire series. Um, I saw a, a, a somewhat uh, interesting trade scenario today, actually, with Ben Simmons, um, where maybe Portland looks to trade C.J. McCollum in a Ben Simmons package which is crazy to think that, you know, a year ago that, um, you know, do you think you can even get CJ McCollum if you're Philadelphia for Ben Simmons? Um, but obviously Portland's big Achilles heel is um, their defense or lack thereof. So having somebody like Ben Simmons who could handle the basketball uh, with Dame but not be a focal point on offense and just be that guy to get the ball moving. I think that's a very interesting thing. Nick, what do you think about uh, Ben Simmons' value on the market? Um, not maybe just this offseason, but going forward. Yeah, I was <clears throat> I was actually thinking about that. Um, just because his stock is so down right now, like, if, if I were the Sixers, like, obviously you'd want to get, I would look to get rid of him. But, I don't think his value is there. And realistically, as, you know, as bright of a future as he has, probably brighter than CJ McCollum even, um, I don't know that Portland, if I were Portland, I wouldn't want to make that trade. Um, You know what you got with CJ. You don't really know what you're going to get with Ben Simmons. Are you going to get all-star Ben Simmons? Are you going to get this playoff series Ben Simmons? Um and, I, you know, I've seen – you saw he passed up a wide-open layup there in the fourth quarter during that game. That was mind-blowing. He doesn't look to shoot, um, but it's – you don't know what you're going to get with him because you've seen, you know, in the past – I mean, during those summer leagues and stuff, he's all over the internet. Ben Simmons is shooting threes. He's knocking them down. Um, he looks like a completely different player, but uh, kind of like Aaron said, he, he's almost got that – Markel Fultz mindset going on where I think it's more mental than anything, but um, I think his upside is great, but right now I don't think his value is there. Um, so I don't know. I would almost just look to hang on to him, see what he does maybe midway through the season. Um, and I think his value would be better at that point. Um, but 
I don't know. What do you? Yeah. Um, if I'm Ben Simmons, I'm hoping I'm gone just for the, uh, just to get a fresh start. Um, obviously now the fans are not behind him anymore after that series. Uh, I saw a good quote today that in a league where Shaquille O'Neal and Wilt Chamberlain shot free throws, Ben Simmons is still the worst free throw shooter statistically now. Um, and that's just crazy. Um, Garrett, I want to throw this at you. Um, I thought Charles Barkley made a great point after that series ended. Um, everybody knew coming out of LSU, Ben Simmons could not shoot. That was, you know, that was a thing. That was his big fallback. Now, there's no way anybody could have thought that he'd still be this bad at shooting coming into the league. Um, Or the point now, you know, even showing that wide open dunk that he passed off. um, it's, It's obviously mental now. And I don't think anybody saw that being a factor of him coming out of college. You know, you'd expect some kind of um, improvement in that, but now seeing that it's a mental, you know, thing, is there any hope in him regaining that confidence? Is him leaving Philadelphia the key, or do you think Philadelphia, or like what Doc Rivers was saying, is they have the tools in place to make him a better shooter? Do you think that's the case, or what do you think? I think it was definitely a mental battle. Um, the three-point shooting, you know, has always been an Achilles heel, but the free throws was totally mental. I think if you look at his uh, form and stuff, it looks pretty good, but, you know, we've all been there, baseball, whatever, you're in a slump, um, you know, sports slumps happen, and it totally shook him. I think being on Philly maybe isn't the right system for him because, you know, he's he's not a shooter, obviously. You have Embiid that's basically clogging the lane, and it's really limiting um, Ben Simmons' skill set. You know, he's 6'10", you know, has six inches on people guarding him. Um, he needs to be able to get into the lane and, and create for others. So I think I think the free throws are totally mental, and I, I could see him definitely up in the percentage, 70 75% next season, um, just getting his mind right. You know, a team that's like the Hawks, you know, that has four or five shooters, and Capella, that's a mobile big, you know, a system where Simmons can get in the lane and dish to, you know, other shooters, I think would benefit him greatly. Um, as good as Embiid is, you know, he's he's not the most mobile. He's out, down on the block. So a spread out offense to let Simmons create and, and pass to others, I think would be most beneficial. And like we talked about, I mean, Philly fans, you know, they, they eat their players alive. Um they celebrate you if you're if you're great, and if you're struggling, they they essentially don't have your back. So I think a fresh start, surrounded by a bunch of shooters, and I expect his uh, free throw percentage to go up. Yeah, well, I hope for his sake that it does. Um, maybe it's time to move him off the point. Maybe throw him somewhere else. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna put him on the other team's best player anyway, but um, he just can't be in a position to score. Um, Thad, I want to just kind of get off this Ben Simmons subject, but I'll, since you, uh, you just joined us and thanks for that as always. Um, I want to ask you the question, who is happier or who's better off right now? Uh, going back to the James Harden trade where the Rockets wanted Ben Simmons 
and to get James to you know to trade James Harden, and that never really happened because the Sixers weren't willing to do so. Do you think the Sixers are more upset that the uh, they kept on to Ben Simmons instead of getting James Harden, or do you think it's uh, better? The Rockets are happier that they didn't actually end up getting Ben Simmons. What do you think? I mean, after that playoff series, I don't think anybody wants Ben Simmons. Um, obviously, I think the Sixers would probably be uh, less happy that they didn't get Harden. Because, um, I mean, if they had hardened in that series, I mean, I would say the Sixers are definitely finals bound. Um, if Harden can stay healthy. Uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure the Rockets would be grateful that they didn't get Simmons. I mean, but one bad playoff run, I mean, I like Garrett said, I think he comes back, is in the 70%, 80% range. Um, I think he just needs a fresh start, to be honest, get out of Philly. I mean, and, and we also have to think he's only 24 years old. So, you know, relatively right. still a young player. Still super young. Right, and that's that's definitely helps him uh, going forward, Aaron. Do we even talk about his shooting if if they just play him at power forward? He's six ten. I mean, if you if you have a power forward scoring you know sixteen a game with eight rebounds and eight assists with two steals, are you even complaining about his shooting? If if he doesn't play point guard, does anyone? Even... I don't know. I just kind of see it. Not that I'm comparing him at all to. LeBron James or Giannis, but um, I mean, it's kind of the same scenario. He's a, a long, big that can handle the ball. Um, and, you know, with with uh, Philadelphia and their the point guards that they have, I mean, it's, it's beneficial to have a big that can do that. Um, but that goes back to like what Garrett was saying as far as spacing the floor, that he can't he can't do what he does best with Embiid down there. And how long do we have to watch this, the Sixers, that duo, and they talk about it every offseason about breaking it up, and they never do. So, You, you mentioned uh, Giannis there. Um, do you think the Bucks fans would rather him choose to not shoot the way Ben Simmons does and just continue to attack the rim the way he does? Um, because every time I watch him take a three, you just, you just know it's not going to go in. And he struggles just not as bad at the free throw line, but it's almost as bad. Yeah, it's 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 cringy. It's cringy to watch for sure. Um, but I mean, the thing with Simmons is he he's aware of his limits. Like, obviously, you'd like to see him shoot, you know, in close more and stuff like that. But he doesn't shoot the three. Giannis still thinks he's going to get that, and good for him i i would love to see him develop that um but you know in tight playoff games probably not the best choice in my yeah i think it's definitely a confidence issue with ben simmons right now and i think him going elsewhere might be the key it worked for markel fultz you know leaves philly goes to orlando after that first year gets that big extension fortunately tears his acl so we don't know what his second year of that would have been like but um orlando's coming couple of young guys coming up there. 
But one more thing that I want to talk about before we move off the Sixers thing was um, who gets, who do you blame more? Do you think Doc Rivers should get a lot of the blame for that series? Um, he is uh, the NBA's leader in coaching game sevens, and he just tied the record for longest losing streak in game sevens with his fourth straight game seven loss um, after blowing the three, one lead last year. Uh, Thad, what do you think about that? Do you think Doc Rivers is uh, needs to be held more accountable for the way the Sixers played? I mean, obviously, he can't shoot the ball for Ben Simmons and all that, but what do you think? Oh, I think absolutely he takes some credit for that. I mean, you've had a guy that what had made a single field goal in the fourth quarter for the last three games, and he's still in there playing. Um, I think you need to look at that and – if he was on a hot streak and he was shooting well, then, yeah, keep him in. But other than that, I think you pull him um, or even put him down low and he's not so he's not running the offense, um, anything, so he's not shooting the ball. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think they need to take him off the ball more just so he – he's obviously an emotional player. Stuff's getting to his head. You need to put him in a position in that scenario, I think. And this is where I think coaches is really a big deal. Take him off the ball. Put him at the three or the four. Don't make him such a focal point on the offense. He's obviously not going to be shooting the ball because he didn't. Um, but, you know, it's hard to tell. Ben Simmons obviously needs to get better. Um, Doc needs to uh, figure out you know, what to do down the stretch after blowing, you know, a couple of leads there. Um, Garrett, do you have something you wanted to add? I I really think moving him off the ball totally eliminates, like, his best skill set of using his height, getting into the lane and dishing. Um, you know, they move him to the three, let's say, and they have Maxi in there. Maxie's trying to find someone. I mean, Simmons is no threat at the perimeter. He's clogged in the lane. Like, I feel like Doc Rivers kept him in, and definitely looking back was a fault, but he was looking towards maybe, you know, something will happen to where his, you know, free throw percentage goes up and catches a little confidence um, if they advance, uh, that type of thing. So I think, honestly, there was no moving him off the ball. Like, they basically would have to bench him because um, he was no threat, I mean, off the ball either. So I think – if you eliminate his best skills, I, I don't know where. He... Yeah, I mean, let me throw this at you. He's obviously not going to shoot the ball in the fourth quarter. He proved the whole series he wasn't going to do that. So what do you think about throwing him down in the four spot and having Maxi and uh, Curry and maybe Maz out there as a distributor instead and maybe play him more as a um, decoy I mean, I feel like if if I'm Doc Rivers and I'm saying, okay, he's obviously not going to do anything on offense. They got to keep him in for defense, but at least you got to. I think they should have tried to throw him down low and just kind of have him running around. And then if he comes off a screen and gets the ball, then he can do his dish and drive. What do you think? Honestly, I thought Maxie should have played more minutes. He played really well in Game Six, um, and. Like I said, I, I didn't like Simmons off the ball. I would have almost benched him down the stretch, maybe play Embiid in the high post and, and Dwight down low or something like that and Maxi at the point. But off the ball, I felt like, you know, 
it's just totally eliminating his best skill. All right, let's move on to uh, Suns and Clippers. Wait, Dave, uh, can, I, can I say something about Doc Rivers real quick while yeah, we're talking about this? Yep. I've been looking at this for like the past week, just waiting to talk to everybody about this. Is he is he just the most disappointing coach in NBA history to anybody else but me? Because you, you have seven years with the Clippers. I mean, so many of those with Blake and DeAndre and Chris Paul, they never made the Western Conference Finals. He hasn't made a conference final since he was with the Celtics. And he's... He has 14 consecutive, I just counted, 14 consecutive winning seasons and regular season, but none of those teams, except for three Celtics teams, have made the conference finals. Then the year that he leaves the Clippers, they make the conference finals. And he comes with the Sixers, who just are just destined for everything this year, actually healthy in the playoffs. I mean, Embiid has the meniscus or whatever, but he didn't look like he had any problems. And he can't even take them to the conference finals through a five-seeded Hawks team playing Nate McMillan. He can't get get a team past the first round. So I just I just feel like Doc Rivers is not getting enough blame for history and history and years and years of failing. I don't know. There's something to be said for the success in the regular season. It could be worse on that front, but. Like you said, I mean, he's definitely had the teams to do it. Um, you know, if, who would have known his all-star would have struggled with this? And you could probably go down the list of different issues, but it ultimately falls on the I'll also add, if you put Ben Simmons at the four late in that game, I think that the Hawks just foul intentionally over and over again like they pretty much did. Yeah, I think he's going to get fouled regardless. I mean, obviously in, in the last two minutes they can't, but I don't know why. That's, I mean, that should just be what everybody does always from now on. I mean, if he's not going to make them, put him on the line. Um, so yeah, I do want to get moving here to something else. Uh, good segue with the Clippers making the conference finals for the first time ever, and Ty Lue sticking to his perfect game plan of uh, losing game one. Um down 2-0 round one, come back and win. Down 2-0 last round, come back and win. They went ahead and lost game one, so they'll go ahead and lose game two and see if they can't come back and win that series. Um, Ty Lue, uh is interesting to me in the fact that Cleveland hasn't didn't win a sports title in 50 years. Ty Lue comes in first year, wins a title. Uh, the Clippers series, uh, the Clippers are you know, now in the Western Conference Finals for the first time ever. And Ty Lue's uh, first year as coach there. Uh, Ty Lue is now 12 and 1 all time in series clinching games, which is the highest ever in the NBA's history. Uh, is Ty Lue an underrated coach, especially now coaching a team led by Paul George, who was notoriously uh, known for not being able to lead a team? And here he is balling out of his mind. Nick, what do you think? Um. As a biased Lakers fan, um, not a huge Ty Lue guy, never was um, when he was with Cleveland. Um, I I still haven't bought in, so I'm going to let somebody else who is more qualified to talk on that, so I will pass this. Well, let me ask, does anybody, does any, any of you guys or anybody in the chat even think that Ty Lue is an underrated coach? Um, or do you think that it's just the teams that he's had, uh, 
this is a yes or no. If you have a yes, go ahead and talk about it. But if you don't, go ahead and say no, and I can move on. I mean, to lose a two-times finals MVP and defensive player of the year two times and still beat the Jazz, I mean, he's got to be decent, I would say. Um, he's basically he playing a bad with some... team, though? I, I don't think he has a bad team, but he's... I mean, has he ever... Been... Is what I'm wondering. I can't think of a team that like he ever had that shouldn't have made the playoffs. It did. I'm just giving him credit for winning against the Jazz the last series. I mean, losing Kawhi is is a big deal. I don't know if it falls on him, but oh yeah, for sure. I definitely I agree with that. I didn't see, I didn't see the Clippers winning that series at all. But no, I didn't. I didn't either. And as you guys know from previous discussions and podcasts, I am a big advocate for the head coach and putting the right players in at the right time. And when Terrence Mann got hot the other night against Utah, he rode with Terrence Mann the rest of that game, and that that was awesome. I just think this is this Clippers team. I think without Kawhi Leonard is overachieving. A ton. Am I wrong in that, Thad? Do you think the Clippers are overachieving, or do you think they're playing up to par? I definitely don't think that we saw this Clippers team without Kawhi doing what they're doing now. Um, I mean, I think Terrence Mann, if he wouldn't have done what he did, if Ty Lue wouldn't have let him play like he did, I think the Jazz would have forced Game 7. So, honestly... I think, excuse me, Uh, I lost my train of thought, sorry. Uh, No, I I think you're right, though. Like, it was, and going back to what Dave said about, you know, coaches knowing when to keep players in and when to take them out and stuff like that, who would have thought Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann, and Patrick Beverly would go off like they did. So I will definitely give him that. They were, it looked like a video game, them shooting in the fourth quarter. I was. Yeah. um, It's been impressive what all those guys have done. Um, And I want to do a quick shout out to DeMarcus Cousins, that dunk the other night. Did you guys see that, that and one? Oh yeah. Garrett was loving that. Yeah, that that was that was awesome. Maybe a little, maybe a little bit of a shove, a little Shaq on uh, Chris Dudley action there, uh, but yeah, it was still cool to watch. But it's, it's been impressive to see what uh, this Clipper team is doing. Um, hate to give credit to Paul George as a Pacer fan, uh, not being biased. I take that back. Great job, Paul George. But it's been great to see uh, what he's been able to do to overcome, you know, the pandemic P, the playoff P. And to come out and play the way he has has just been great uh, for the Clippers. Um, Kawhi's obviously still out. They still won't release what that injury is, other than the rumor that it's ACL-related. Uh, Chris Paul is also out for Game 2. Um, what do you think... Um, what do you think... Who do you think is more important to their team going forward? Do you think the Clippers need Kawhi uh, going forward? Or do you think that Chris Paul coming back will be more helpful 
for the Suns. Aaron, we'll start with you. I want to start off by saying, uh, you mentioned Paul George. It's, it's been shown that he can't lead a team. I think that it's showing that he can lead a team. Um, I think he can't play second fiddle. I think that's what we're realizing. When he's in charge, the teams he's playing on are just better than when he's the second in charge. Um, but I think, with that being said, still, I still believe that Kawhi is more detrimental to him being gone. I mean, you saw in game one, just imagine Kawhi guarding Devin Booker all game or even just being able to play offense and have maybe Devin Booker. I mean, I'm assuming Devin Booker probably wouldn't guard Kawhi, but um, just his just constant aggressiveness all game just is unmatched by, I think, anybody, but maybe Giannis in the entire league. He's just He's just hard to deal with at all times at every position, especially late in the game. I think it's when you're missing Kawhi the most. But I don't. I don't want to say that it's it's a huge difference between him and Chris Paul because Chris Paul's just been so deadly all playoffs. The mid range jumper is just automatic. Um, he's completely changed Phoenix around um, from the day he showed up. I mean, I haven't watched much. Sun- I mean, I've only watched the Suns in the playoffs. I didn't watch game um, three or four of that Nuggets series. I didn't watch game one of this Clipper series. Um, I missed all those, but. You could just tell Chris Paul's changed everyone's demeanor on that team. But I think that him just being around the team is enough for them. I think Kawhi has to be on the court to really build. I agree. Um, Obviously, Chris Paul, even if he's not uh, there statistically or talent-wise or whatever you want to say, uh, I think him just being there has definitely turned around the uh, Suns team from missing the playoffs and being a 10 seed last year. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts more detrimental to their success, Kawhi coming back or Chris Paul coming back? I would – I mean, just knowing that Kawhi obviously is a better player, but – does anybody remember the Suns over the past 10 years? I mean, they haven't made the playoffs. And what really changed from last year to this year? Chris Paul came to the team. Um, I mean, essentially they had the same group. I mean, Jay Crowder, yeah, whatever. But, um, I mean, you've never seen Booker or Aiton shine like they have since – they've had Chris Paul on that team. And I don't know that you can attribute all that to them. I know they're young players and they're getting older, maturing and stuff like that. But I think it's just insane how, I mean, they've had a like 10 year playoff drought to here. They are the number one seed um, just coming in and I mean, running through people. Um, I know Kawhi is a better basketball player. I think the Clippers have enough decent talent to keep them relevant. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I think I think we'll see once Chris Paul does come back from his suspension or whatever, um, what this team could look like. Yeah, and to touch on your point, they lost Aaron Baines, who started almost 30 games, and Kelly Oubre, and added Chris Paul, and they went from 10-2 to 2 in the West. Uh, Gary, I think I know your answer. But I will still ask you, uh, just for your insight here, uh, more detrimental Chris Paul or Kawhi Leonard on for their team success. 
I would think I think all of us as basketball fans wanted to see a Kawhi versus Booker matchup an elite, you know, two time defensive player of the year, I believe, against one of the most lethal scorers. Um and like we talked about, Chris Paul, even though he's not playing, he can definitely, you know, still help from the sideline on the leadership side. Um he's averaging I think fifteen and nine for the playoffs and Cameron Payne had eleven and nine, so as far as the on-court production, uh, Cameron Payne was adequate, I thought. And, you know, the, the Suns were trending upwards. They had that great run in the playoffs. I believe they were undefeated in the bubble, just missed the playoffs. So, you know, it was a good situation anyways. And then adding that leadership, like we talked about with the development of young players, it was, it was a good situation. So I hope both players can come back. And like I said, I really want to see that Booker versus Leonard match up and see if they can slow him down but you know Stephen A. Smith said he's the next Kobe so we'll see what and I'd also like to add I think so saying that Chris Paul in my opinion it plays like a bigger part on the team um, just due to past experiences and stuff like that I will say I think if both players were out for the entire series I think the Suns could get by without him. I don't think the Clippers can make it a series without Kawhi Leonard. So take with that what All right. And uh Nick, are you saying are you saying that that you think that if Kawhi came back and the Suns didn't have Chris Paul, they could still have a chance to beat the Clippers? If Kawhi came back and the Suns did not have Chris Paul, I think the Clippers would have a good shot. I'm saying if both players were out for the entire series, I don't think the Clippers stand a chance. Sad, what do you think? Uh, I definitely agree with Nick with what he just said. Uh, Definitely the Suns can win without Chris Paul. Clippers aren't winning without Kawhi. Um, We definitely wanted to see the Booker-Kawhi matchup um, hopefully we still get to see that. Uh, hopefully it, the injury's not as bad as what we all think it is, and hopefully he'll be back by the time the series is over. Uh, but if not, um, I definitely think the Suns take this series. Um, yeah, I think Kawhi's definitely missed more than Chris Paul. Um, like Garrett said, I think Chris Paul can still have that leadership off the court that can help the team. Um and is where Kawhi's on-court presence is missed way more than Chris Paul's leadership presence. I agree. Kawhi is obviously the uh, better player, but I think that Chris Paul's um, impact on the team is more important, more than just being on the court. Um, That's just what I think. Uh, so let's uh, go ahead and get to our second big topic of the evening, which is NBA coaching updates. Uh, we now have seven vacancies in the league. Uh, we have Orlando, Dallas, Boston, Washington, New Orleans, Portland, and Indiana. Um, I haven't heard uh, much update on Dallas and Washington's end, but I will go over some of the uh, big news coming out of the other camps. And... Um, We'll uh, start with New Orleans, who 
has reached out to uh, interview for a second time, I believe, uh, Jacques Vaughn from Brooklyn. Uh, Jacques Vaughn was the head coach in Orlando from 2012 to 2015 and was the interim coach uh, for the Nets in 2019 before they, uh, or at the end of 2020 before they end up signing Steve Nash. Um, he is part of the Greg Popovich coaching tree. He was the assistant there from 2010 to 2012. But he holds a career coaching record of 65 and 161. Although that last stint was Brooklyn, he went 7 and 3. Um, and they also are looking seriously at Milwaukee assistant Charles Lee, who's been an assistant in the NBA since 2014, previously with Atlanta. Um, no head coaching experience in the league. Uh, he was a Patriot League player of the year in 06 at Bucknell, and he played overseas for about five years. Um, as far as the Pelicans are concerned, with those being the two serious uh, contenders, who do you think would be a better fit, Garrett? Jacques Vaughn with the head coaching experience or going with somebody new, a former college standout, Charles Lee? I can't speak on you know, their credentials. I think Jock Vaughn is uh, well-respected around the league. But unfortunately, it's a player-driven league, and I think you have to go on what Zion honestly thinks. I, You know, we've seen the LeBron effect where he basically picks the head coach and has had success doing that. And I think New Orleans has to do everything they can to keep Zion happy. So if Zion likes that kind of proven guy or, you know, maybe – Maybe they want to go a new route, but literally I'm just going on what this. Yeah, that's a good point. And, you know, obviously the reports came out that Zion's, at least Zion's family is not happy with what New Orleans is doing. So I'm sure he'll have a big impact on their coaching decision. Uh, staying with New Orleans for a second, uh, Stan Van Gundy, you know, we uh, know what he's done, but just for some, maybe some younger people tuning in, Ben Gundy uh, does head first head coaching gig in 03 before being let go from New Orleans in 21. A 979 and 554 record with a 57% winning percentage. Obviously, the Eastern Conference champs with Orlando. But his last few stints, he's 183 and 217 with Detroit and New Orleans. And I've not seen his name uh, popping up anywhere. Uh, for any future considerations. Aaron, what do you think is the future for Stan Van? Um, I'm not – I feel like he hasn't wanted, to, hasn't wanted to coach for, like, the last five years. I feel like he's just been doing it for – I have no idea what reason. He doesn't seem into it. It seems like everywhere he goes, the team kind of implodes on him. Um, and he just leaves and goes to the next sad excuse of a team and tries to do his best. You know, I feel like it's just it's just the it's just the name that you know. And teams bring them in to kind of try to keep players happy, and I'm not sure if it's the way to go anymore. He might just be the next filler. I mean, the Pacers on it honestly could just be like, whatever. Just let's just do this guy and let's move on for a little bit. <laughs> That's what. Yep. Um, Stan Van had a break after the 06, uh, 05 06 season. Came back in 07 08, was out of the league again in 12 13, came back in 14, uh, left in 18, came back in 20. So he takes some, usually takes some time off, it looks like in between gigs. Uh, but we'll see what, um, 
he does going forward. Uh, I'll go to uh, Orlando next. Orlando is apparently uh, getting second interviews with uh, Willie Green, former um, Magic player. He was now the Phoenix assistant coach. He won two championships as the Warriors assistant in 16 and 19, and they are also looking at Charles Lee there. Um, the Boston Celtics are uh, looking hard at Darvin Ham, who is the current Milwaukee assistant. I was the Lakers assistant for a few years, uh, but he's been with Milwaukee since 2018. They are also looking at uh, Chauncey Billups uh, for his second interview with them and former Spurs assistant, Sixers assistant, and now Brooklyn Nets assistant, Ime Udoka, is also getting his second interview with the Celtics as well. I don't think you can uh, knock Jason Kidd or Rick Carlisle uh, off that list just yet, but those three are getting second looks at this week. Um, I want to take some time here on the Blazers. Uh, the Blazers are getting second interviews or got second interviews this week from Mike D'Antoni and Chauncey Billups and Becky Hammond. Those are uh, supposedly the three finalists for that job. Uh, Becky's the first female to uh, become a finalist for a head coaching job. Uh, what do you think of for her chances amongst those three are to be hired as a new coach of the Blazers, Garrett? I definitely like her chances among those three. I think the the Blazers' Achilles heel was defense, and that's not D'Antoni's forte. So, you know, you want to go a new route. Um, and like I touched on with Zion, you know, you got to have Dame's input, a lot of rumbling he's going to get, you know, traded or once traded perhaps. And, you know, if he likes Chauncey Billups or Becky Hammond, you know, maybe that's enough to stay. So the input's important, and I, I think – I think either Chauncey or Becky Hammond have a better shot than. Dave, I think you're muted. Ah, thank you. I spoke that entire question and was muted. Uh, Thad, I was asking you, uh, Chauncey Billups having no experience last year as a coach at any level and then still getting interviewed for head coaching jobs, this year being his first year in the league as a coach with the Clippers and now being a finalist for at least two of these seven with Boston and Portland, what do you think are his chances at landing one of these jobs? I see his chances pretty high uh, just because he, he's an old player, just like Steve Nash was. Um, you see Tim Duncan and now Dirk, all these ex-players getting coaching jobs or being involved with the coaching staff. Um, and I definitely think Billups could definitely be a head coach. Um, I think that one of the big draws of hiring an ex-player as a coach is it could drive other players that want to play for him. Um, big name like Billups um, could definitely attract other players from other teams to play for that team, uh, especially if you're in a smaller market. Um, so I could definitely see him going to Portland. Uh, 
definitely smaller markets in Boston. Um, honestly, I think Carlisle is is going to go to Boston. That's just my hot take. Yeah, not not a lot has been talked about uh, with Rick Carlisle. I mean, he's, he's been linked with Boston. Uh, he's been linked with Portland. Um, and that's a pretty much all I've seen. I haven't seen much about Orlando, Washington, or Indiana. Uh, Nick, where do you think uh, Carlisle may be headed, or what do you think is the best fit for him with these seven teams? Um, I, I just think Rick Carlisle, he's been doing it for so long. Um, I think if it's not a spot that he's absolutely in love with, um, I don't see him going. Um, I don't see him going to a small market, kind of like Thad said. Um, he's been doing it for so long, you know, um, with Dallas, um, that I think if he's not in love with the team, not in love with uh, the pieces put around him as far as on the coaching staff and everything else, I don't see him doing it. Um, I could see him being one of those coaches that, if he can't find something that he feels comfortable with, he just hangs it up and stops coaching. So um, I think, yeah, Boston or um, gosh, that's about the biggest market there. So, I mean, I, I don't disagree with that Boston. Yeah, he's a, uh, I can see him being one of those guys where if he doesn't get, you know, necessarily where he wants to be, that I think he's fine. Just, you know, not even coaching at all uh, this year, maybe ever again. I think he's looking for the right opportunity for him. And I think with as, as hard as the Western Conference is, and for him to have as much success as he's had uh, in the last, what, 10, 12, 13 years with Dallas, him going to Boston and running a team in the East, uh, I think would be phenomenal uh, for him. And uh, for the Celtics. And just to kind of go off of that, uh, Aaron, go ahead. Uh, I just I just want to know where you guys are hearing about Rick Carlisle's name with the Celtics, because everything I've seen with Rick Carlisle is the Celtics are the only team um, that I've seen that he's been linked with not getting an interview and not even considering going to. I mean, I'm not saying he's been considered going to any of the other teams, but I've saw I've seen specifically that it's unlikely that he'll be the same. Yeah, I'm not saying it was anything uh, formal. It was just like, oh, now Rick Carlisle is available. He needs to be the next guy to come in. Um, like I said, as far as the report today, uh, Boston's only interviewing three guys this week, and it's Darvin Ham, Ime Doku, and Chauncey Billups, and those are their second interviews. So I think they haven't narrowed down besides Rick Carlisle. I just think that's the best fit for Rick Carlisle would be uh, the Celtics. Not necessarily that that is a reported thing, that there's serious interest there. Um, I think we just kind of linked him because he won a title as a player there. And, you know, Tatum's there and he's an established player. But my opinion, Carlisle, he's, he's got the title with Dallas that unless the opportunity is just perfect, I mean, he can be very selective or may retire, you know. Yeah, that's. Do you think yeah. it's possible that other teams are still yet to decide whether they're going to make a coaching change, and Carlisle might be sitting out just to see if any other teams are available? I mean, I've heard that. I mean, until Milwaukee won this series with the Nets, that they, if they considered 
you know, firing Budenholzer like everyone thought they would. Carlisle was kind of the favorite to take over that head coach. Yeah, I also saw that, uh, you know, Carlisle was the favorite to take over Milwaukee if that were to be the case. Um, before I get to Indiana, which was the last team I was going to cover, um, do you, talking about Budenholzer, do you think getting to the Commerce Finals has now locked him in to at least one more year, or do you think that um, his job is still in jeopardy, or championship or bust, Aaron? You never know anymore. I mean, I thought that, you know, Mike, Mark Jackson wouldn't be fired. I thought, uh, what, Toronto, Dwayne Casey got fired, but he was coach of the year and got fired. I mean, you just never know. I think if Milwaukee doesn't win at all this year, they'd be looking at a different direction. Um, no matter what, I mean, as, unless they, if they win the championship, I think you have to stick with Budenholzer. But I think anything else, I wouldn't be surprised to see Budenholzer or someone. Thad, would you agree with that? Yeah, I do. I think if they don't win, that he's gone. Um. So the last team I wanted to uh, cover was the Pacers, and only because I think, um, just based on. Kevin Pritchard's interview after the Bjorken firing with them not wanting to do an exhaustive search and them kind of already having all their notes from last year covered. They weren't going to go out and re-interview people. Uh, they named uh, the three people that they were interviewing this week, which was Brian Shaw, who is the G League Ignite coach, um, former head coach of the Nuggets and uh, assistant with Indiana for one year. They inter- interviewing Steve Clifford, the uh, Magic coach who was just let go, and uh, Terry Stotts. And with Pritchard saying they want the experience, they want a winning coach, and all that stuff, it's obvious to me that out of this list that it's going to be Terry Stotts. I mean, somewhat he's at Indiana ties, went to high school in Bloomington. Um, he's the most. I think out of all of these coaches, aside from Carlisle, he is the most experienced coach coming in a year after Carlisle. Um, but, you know, the knocks against him, you know, no first round. It couldn't get out of the first round for a long time. He didn't even have a winning record until 2014, and he started coaching in 2002. But as far as what this list shows, I think Terry Stotts is going to be their obvious choice. Uh, Aaron, I'll start with you just because of the Pacer thing, but then I want to ask Nick on his thoughts. So, Aaron, go first. Yeah, we had our show about this before, and I said I thought Terry Stotts was the obvious choice in the obvious Pacer decision. That's what they always do. I still haven't watched the interview. I just don't even want to watch the interview with Kevin Pritchard. Um, I sent out a tweet today with the hashtag to fire Kevin Pritchard. I just think this is the end of the road. Just to seeing the three finalists. I don't know how any Pacer fan could be happy looking at that finalist list and think that there's any positive future for this team. Um, I think there's a lot of work to do, and I think we're going down the wrong path with any of them. Um, but, of course, with Kevin Pritchard saying, you know, um, we want to be a tough out, I mean, I think that's what Terry Stotts has been. He's been a tough out, but he's also had the players kind of make it. Th- I mean, without Damian Lillard this year, I don't think that out would have been very tough at all. I mean, honestly, any of the years that he's had Damian Lillard there, um, without Damian Lillard, they'd be nothing. So um, I think personally for me out of the three, I'd like to see Brian Shaw get a chance. I think we talked about this with Becky Hammond potentially having a short leash. I think Brian Shaw would have a short leash with the Pacers 
um, to get through a year. And if it's a bad year, you know, we move on and we continue with him the next year and see how it goes. I don't think we'd have to fire him after a year of being unhappy. I think fans would be very upset with Terry Stotts having a bad season just because you're getting the bigger name of the three. Um, and Steve Clifford, I just think years of mediocre uh, play with the Magic, um, and I, I don't even know who else, but just his coaching career has not been the best. Um, I like to hear what Nick has to say. Yeah, Clifford coached Charlotte for one year, um, and then I think he's only ever coached Orlando since, and he was an assistant on the Orlando team that went to the finals with Dwight against Kobe and the Lakers. Nick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, out of those three, I mean, I think uh, Terry Stott's credentials um, outweigh everybody else's. Um, I think that the Pacers, they don't have, at this point, like, they don't have championship aspirations. Um, the Blazers, you've got uh, one of the top eh, top five, top ten players in the league on your team. You know, you should be doing better than getting bounced in the first round or not making the playoffs. Um, so I think his firing there was justified. Um, but I think bringing him into Indiana, I mean – what are you expecting as a Pacer fan? What do you, you're not going to hire a new coach and then go out and be a first seed next year. Um, I'm not seeing that. I mean, they're a decent team. They're always a decent team. Um, but I don't think, you know, hiring any one of those individuals is going to be a blockbuster deal over anybody else. Um, I mean, Terry Stotts, he's had his issues, um, getting out of the first round and everything like that. Um, but, you know, they they did make it to the conference finals a couple years ago against questionably the best team to ever exist in the Warriors. So um, I don't know. Maybe he's got something to prove with a team that is not as talented and maybe can bring it. Yeah, and when I uh... – one of Mark Stein's rooms on here, I asked that same question. I said, okay, we're going to fire uh, Nate McMillan because he can't get out of the first round. And then we're going to turn around and hire Terry Stotts who can't get out of the first round. And his response was, yeah, but that's not the Pacers aren't in the West. He's going to have way more success with the Pacers just for the sole fact that it's not in the West. And maybe that's the case. Obviously, the Pacers aren't looking to go outside of the box anymore. Oh, with this next hire, they're winning somebody established, somebody who knows how this thing works. And I think Terry Stotts, as far as their criteria is concerned, is going to be their pick. Uh, one thing I, that I thought was interesting was all the this list of all these teams, aside from Dallas and Washington, and Dallas may be the case here, but all these second interviews, all these people coming in that are being named finalists, Jason Kidd is not on any of those lists. Um, Nick, I'll start with you being our Laker guy, what do you think the uh, issue is with that? Why isn't Jason Kidd at least being reported coming back for these second interviews? Um, I mean, I guess I can't speak for Mr. Kidd, um, but, I mean, he may be comfortable where he's at. Um, I mean, he's, he's on a good staff, great team, has a chance to win another, another title, um, and, you know, things didn't go very well when he was a coach. Um, 
You know, he took a lot of criticism um, for his team's underperforming. And, you know, that's a reason that he's not a head coach anymore. So um, looking at it, I think he will get another opportunity in the future. Uh, but maybe the time's just not right. Thad, what do you think is a is a good fit for uh, Jason Kidd? I think the last time we spoke about Jason Kidd uh, a few podcasts ago, um, I definitely thought that he may be just comfortable with the Lakers as the assistant. Um, like Nick said, they have a great team, have a great chance of winning another title if they can stay healthy. Um, so, especially with his uh, past coaching, head coaching experience, uh, the criticism that he took, Maybe he's just happy where he is, living out in L.A., uh, being an assistant on a great team, um, doesn't really have too much stress um, like a head coach would. Um, that's my take for it. Um, I honestly think that we're not going to see him move this off season, uh, especially if we don't see him um, on any of these lists for second interviews. Yeah, I think he's uh, waiting out Vogel for sure. Um, that's what he did with, you know, Milwaukee was the kind of the shady hire there for him. Um, I think he's waiting out Vogel. Like Magic Johnson said, the Lakers get a pass this year because they won the finals last year. They're not getting a pass next year. And I think uh, with Jason Kidd coming out and publicly saying he's not taking the Blazers job, even though you would have inherited Damian Lillard, he obviously has something specific in mind. And I think, A, that staying in uh, Los Angeles and waiting that scenario out and see how that goes. Or I think he'd be a great fit in Dallas just because he would inherit Luka, which we know that must not matter too much to him with the whole Damian Lillard and Trailblazers thing. But he has the chemistry with Mark Cuban. He was the point guard on that uh, Dallas team that won the championship. And now with Dirk somewhat leading the way in that coaching search, I'm sure Jason Kidd's name is going to be coming up. Uh, in that, uh, before we head off, uh, I want to go to each of you for one last uh, kind of comment here. Aaron, I'll start with you. Out of the seven teams, Orlando, Dallas, Boston, Washington, New Orleans, Portland, and Indy, what is the uh, – who, who, if you're a candidate, who do you want? What team would you want to coach? Who has the best uh, team going forward here? Um, I'm extremely biased. Um, and while I think the Pacers underachieved this year, and if they had all the pieces of TJ Warren and everything, I still think the Boston Celtics are the best uh, scenario just because players in historically have wanted to go there. Um, but currently, I think they have the most – I mean, he's he's very appreciated and very much considered to be one of the best players in the league, but I still think he's the most underrated player in the league. Um I'm just really having trouble, though. <laughs> Remember, uh, Jason Tatum. Goodness gracious. Jason Tatum. So uh, underrated, you don't even know his name. Yeah, you know how it goes. I have so many names on my computer screen right now that it's just that's what happens to me. Um, you can add that part out if you want. Um, <laughs> I just think we talked, they talked about, Stephen A. Smith talked about Devin Booker being the next Kobe Bryant. Nobody reminds me of Kobe more than Jason Tatum does. Um, and the fact that the Celtics got one game on the Nets this year 
when they were healthy um, because of Jason Tatum. I would love to, I mean, I know that the Celtics fans and a lot of people just think Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown together is the right, right way to go. But I think the best move for the Celtics and Brad Stevens would be to go find somebody who would like to take Jalen Brown off their hands to find a center or a new point guard to go with um, Jason Tatum and let Jason Tatum just take the reins, completely lead this team, play through him, and just see what this team can do. I know the Wizards have Bradley Beal and Westbrook, but I think the Celtics are the best team out of those. All right, Nick. Best of these seven teams, what's uh, the most lucrative job? I'm thinking, I mean, I while I think the Celtics are the most talented team at this moment, um, if I'm a if I'm a coach looking for a job, um, sign me up in New Orleans. Uh, you've got, I mean, a once in a lifetime player in Zion if he can stay healthy. Um, the guy is an absolute freak, um, and with how Lonzo has you know transformed his game, he can shoot. He can shoot a three now. Um, you've got uh, Brandon Ingram coming up. Um, I mean, he was questionably most improved player. Um, and I just think with Brandon Ingram, uh, Lonzo, Zion, um, they could probably find something to do with Steven Adams. Um, don't know that he really fits that system that well. Um but with guys like Josh Hart and everything like that, look at me listing off all the Lakers. But, um, I mean, I think they have the potential to, you know, make some noise coming up. Um, it may not be this year, may not be the next year, but um, if they can hang on to that core group, I think it could be something. Yeah, I agree. That that core in New Orleans is uh, very bright, obviously. Um, my only concern would be if the Zion noise is true, that it's already starting, you know, that, that would, that would worry me, that would worry me going into that. But obviously the talent perspective alone would be something that would really intrigue a lot of people. Garrett, who are you picking? I'm going to go a little different and I, I think Washington, um, like we talked about Westbrook, he's an elite star. I love Bradley Beal. Um, he's as lethal a scorer as we have in this league. And then you look at a young guy like uh, Hachimura that really showed a lot of signs. And, you know, they played Philly in the playoffs, lost 4-1, to one, but I thought that was a pretty competitive series. I don't know how much everybody watched, but, um, you know, it's so hard in this league to get two stars together like that and to walk into that situation. Um you know, and then to build with picks around it with a couple of young players already on the roster. I, I like Washington. Yeah, for sure. And they finally may have solved their center woes. Daniel Gafford came out huge in the in these uh, the playing game in the first round series. Uh, they, I think, they're very happy to have gotten him from Chicago. Sad, uh, those seven. Who are you picking? Sorry, I had to throw a gif in the chat real quick. Um, I'm picking the Mavs job. I mean, the opportunity to coach Luka, um, I, I'm not giving that 
that up. Uh, I think he's the greatest player, the greatest young player in the league. Um, and I think he's going to end up being the greatest, one of the greatest players ever. I think uh, they got rid of their GM. They got rid of their head, where their head coach quit. Uh, I think if Mark Cuban can get the right pieces in there, um, we'll definitely see a Dallas Mavericks championship team within the next probably three years. Uh, that's just my hot take. Uh, they just got to get some cap room. Uh, get rid of Przingis. I don't like Przingis in Dallas. That's just my opinion. Uh, and get players around Luka, and they're, they're destined to win a championship there. Yeah, the opportunity to coach to coach Luca would be uh, a dream job. Um, the one thing I see having, if it wasn't for Indiana just being so set in their ways, uh, I think that would be a good opportunity for a coach, just because you know you're going to have such a long leash. Because there's no way that they're going to fire another coach right away. They're going to give the next next person time. Which is why I'm sure they're wanting to go with somebody who's been there because they don't want to risk that whole thing. But Pritchard's going to have to hire somebody for his job's sake, I think. Um, I just think whoever comes in will be given just a long leash. I mean, they'll be there for this team, and if this team doesn't work and they decide to blow it up, they're going to let him kind of help in that rebuild. So I think that's a good shot there. Um, One thing I just thought about, I know I said we would end with that, uh, the Kimball Walker trade, we didn't talk about that. Um, I kind of want to get your thoughts on the, on what you think is happening there. Do you think Kimba was sold too low? Do you think it was just right? Garrett, what do you think? I I was fine uh, moving Kimba. Um, you know, we see so many teams kind of stuck in their ways. And Boston is never afraid to to make a move, and and that could be attractive, you know. Going back to the last thing for a a new coach, um, everybody's up for grabs. But they moved that big contract, even though they got Al Horford, that quite frankly is paid way more than he should be. But yeah, I mean, I I think it showed that uh, they're able to, or they're always willing to make a move, and that can be attractive to coaches and they freed up a little bit of cap space so I was fine with the move Kimba's getting older and and it'll free up for the younger yeah I love the addition of Moses Brown um showed signs of real potential with a 20 and 20 game this season for Oklahoma City um Thad what are your thoughts on uh Kemba being sent to Oklahoma City where we are being told that he most likely isn't staying there either. I think it was a great move for the Celtics. Um, as for Kemba, I wouldn't be happy with that trade um, just because I wouldn't want to go to Oklahoma City. Um, I think it was the right move for Boston. Um, I'm definitely excited to see what Oklahoma City is going to do with Kemba. A lot of rumor that he's not even going to be there at the beginning of the season next year. So it'll be interesting to see where he actually ends up. Quick thought, Nick. Quick thoughts, Nick. Sorry. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't hate the trade. Um, I don't. I don't love it. I I do like that they are getting Al Horford back in Boston. 
Um, that's where he was really able to thrive. Um, I mean, he's, he was an all-star for um, Atlanta, but um, he was, I mean, one of the top centers in the league when he played for Boston. So um, I like to see him back there. And the whole Kimba on Boston with Tatum and Brown, it, it wasn't working. Um, I think it was a good decision to move on from that. Um, and also if you're Kimba, I mean, looking at it, going to OKC, I mean, he probably knew going in that they weren't going to keep him. They're going to trade him for some more draft picks or something. So, um, I mean, he could go to a championship contender who knows. Um, but I mean, that's typical OKC. They're gonna, you know, anybody over, you know, 28 years old, you're gone for some draft picks. So, uh, it'll be it'll be good to see what they do with him. But I, I think it was decent for. Yeah, I think it really benefits Kemba. He's definitely in that buyout market. So look for him to uh, be in L.A. with the Lakers or, um, you know, anybody really needing a point guard. He's going to be available for anybody for cheap. Um, Aaron, what do you think on that trade? Um, I think that the the Thunder, in my opinion, got the better deal on that trade. Just from the just losing that contract that Horford has, um, and like we said, they don't have to keep Kimba, which I, I'm assuming they they won't keep Kimba. Um, I think the getting another first round pick was a is just a good move for them right now. They're obviously rebuilding, um, and it's not. I don't even. I just feel bad for OKC. I mean, I feel like they did such a good job drafting all the right people. And then it wasn't even, I don't feel like it's even there. They got to the the West finals, right? Up three, one. Um, they blow that lead. And the next year Durant leaves and everything's just falling apart since then. And you just feel bad for small markets. Um, when things like that happen, they get the trade with the Pacers, get Paul George there with Russell Westbrook. That doesn't work out. Everything just seems to be going against them. I think getting a draft pick, losing that contract, and trying to rebuild through the draft is the only way they can have success. Yeah, I mean, I sent you guys that, that list before of the people to play for the Thunder just in the last 10 years. Carmelo, Chris Paul, Durant, Harden, Westbrook, Paul George, um, Al Horford. Just the amount of names alone that team has had is uh, just crazy. Um, I forget where I was going next, so I think that's a sign to end it. I will say we just got a breaking news report that uh, a couple days late, Spencer Dinwiddie is fully 100% cleared during his basketball activities, and he is a guy that's expected to be probably the top point guard in free agency this year. So, uh I mentioned last week in the podcast that they definitely would have had him with uh, Kyrie Irving gone, and they get him back a couple days late. Uh, so, Dave, did we want to we want to talk about the rule changes or the rule change today? Oh yeah, I did say I wanted to talk about that. The NBA is officially changing the uh, the shooting foul rule, if you want to call it, the Trey Young, James Harden, no more jumping into people, jumping back out the people, no more kicking the leg out, throwing the elbow out. They're getting rid of that completely. They're retraining the referees this offseason. Um, I think that's a, a great move. Uh, quick thoughts on that, Garrett? 
Yeah, I mean, it's hard enough as a defender in the league um, to be getting those calls on you. And especially it seems like the stars get the call for that for that drag through. So um, offense always seems to have the advantage, and, and this one benefits the defense. So I, I like the rule change. It'll be interesting to see how they actually do call it. Um, it's a big adjustment for the refs that have been calling it for so long. Yeah, Aaron, did you have something on that? I I got a bit of a what I think might be the hot take. Um, I think that's the end of James Harden. Um, I think that he's just been the most overrated player in basketball because of that move. I mean, we saw it once in Game Seven. He he's dribbling the ball with his left hand. The defender has his arms out. He swipes up with his right hand that doesn't even have the ball in it, and then carries into a shot. And it just that is just not basketball. That should be an offensive foul 100%. The defensive player doesn't move. Offensive player initiates 100% of the contact and ends up with three free throws. And it's just the biggest disappointment that basketball's dealt with the last five, six years. I mean, really, I think Paul Pierce is kind of the initiator of all of that. I mean, I've always been driven crazy. Kyle Lowry's entire career is based on this move. Um, I just think we'll be really confused on why a lot of players have lost production this year, and I think Yeah, that's spicy, for sure. Um, I'll have to put that out on a poll tomorrow on Instagram. Um, is this rule change the end of James Harden's career? Uh, Nick, your thoughts, and do you have a rebuttal for that? <laughs> that's, a, that's a spicy take you got there, Aaron. Um, I mean... Yeah, James Harden is notorious for that, but he's also notorious for that step back three uh, where nobody can come within five feet of him. So uh, we'll see. Um, I see this as, I mean, I think it's good. I It slows the game down. Um, you know, fans are there to watch threes and dunks. They're not there to watch, you know, Trey Young, James Harden shoot uh, 23 free throws a game or something like that. So, um I think it's a good idea, but kind of like Garrett said, we're going to have to wait to see how the refs are going to call that because it's a tough call. Um, I mean, those guys are flailing and all that stuff. It's kind of like when they were starting to address the the Dwayne Wade situation where he'd get the people up on the pump fake and jump into them. Um, they said that they were going to you know, look at that and stop calling that, and where has that gone? Um, you still see that Lou Williams uh, gets two or three of those a game. Um, so I guess we'll just have to wait and see how it's actually. I just want to clarify that uh, I'm not saying James Harden's is going to be like non-existent, but I know he's on the nets now, but 30 points a game. I think without that, without that play, he's at 20. Gotcha. Um, Man, I forget what I was going to say again. So I say we just go ahead and uh, call it there. Um, oh, I remember what I was going to say real quick. Nick uh, talked about speeding. It's going to speed up the game. I agree that in the long run it's going to speed up the game. I just am already dreading the amount of replay. We're going to have to go back and review. Did he stick his elbow out too far? Did he initiate contact? I'm not looking forward to that, but I'm glad that there is steps being taken to eliminate, you know, that from the game. So, thanks, guys, for joining in. Uh, we are two hours away from the NBA lottery, the draft lottery, so that's exciting. 
Um, so yeah, uh, we'll see you guys next week. Um, and uh, keep your brains running. Keep looking up some stuff. And if you guys got anything you want to talk about, you know, just shoot me a message. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you.